0: And make sure though that you have an opportunity to take some notes tonight we're going to dive into this together and i want as little distractions as possible moving around all that just for the next little bit please give me your best ear because this is a really serious sermon the lord's given me tonight and I feel the content is really important. So I want to really focus in. I appreciate those that could just help me preach this, kind of be in an attitude of prayer. Because we need to deal with some things tonight that are really serious out there. All right, so I'm going to open up a prayer. Is everything ready back there? You're good? All right, let's agree together. Father, I thank you. We thank you that there's an open heaven your glory here. But we also thank you, Lord, for your mighty Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us that are going to be listening to this, that we can give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that we're locked in. The Holy Spirit helps us just get focus, not distracted, that our minds, our hearts are good soil, our eyes and ears are anointed to be able to see and hear. And, Lord, as you speak through me everything that needs to be said as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, That will be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. That this will be a powerful, effective time in you. And Lord, as you speak to me, I thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to accomplish what it's supposed to. And everything will be accomplished in the hearers, those that are going to be watching or listening. That they're not just hearers alone, but doers of the word. That they apply it to their lives. And that... Lord, even in this, I thank you for the Holy Spirit coming as the Bible describes him as the spirit of the Lord and wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, but the fear of the Lord. that There'll be a healthy fear of God, a conviction, Lord, that leads to repentance, eternal life. And this will be powerful in every way. And we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this. We command to go from us now, go from this word in Jesus' name. You will not hinder it in Jesus' name. We commend it so. And I thank you for your angels, Lord, just clearing away any resistance. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we thank you for it and we bless you. All right. So as I dive into this, it's a very, very serious subject. I'm going to deal with wolves among the sheep, but it's even more than that tears among the weed etc but there's a scripture in the bible that i don't have in front of me and it's right after you read it in first kings you deal with elijah and then it goes down to um into the days of jehoshaphat and the days of ahab still and ahab was going to go to battle and as he's going to battle he wanted to seek the counsel of the prophets and jehoshaphat so ahab's the king over israel And Jehoshaphat, the descendant of David, is the king over Judah. And as Ahab has got all these prophets around him, one of them, their leader, I guess, name was Zedekiah, and they're all prophesying to him, go and be victorious. And Jehoshaphat must have known that they were a bunch of false prophets because he said to the king, Ahab, he said, well, don't you you have someone else? (laughs) And you ought to read it. It's kind of funny when you keep that in mind. And so... Ahab said, yeah, listen to this. Ahab said, yeah, I've got someone else, but I hate him because all he ever prophesies is negative about me. And so uh, Joseph said, the king ought not say that. And so anyway, they sent for his name was Micaiah. Micaiah comes and they were telling, listen to what they're telling this guy. They're telling him as they're taking Micaiah to go before the kings, they said, now listen, all of the prophets are prophesying success and good. Why don't you just say that? Why don't you just tell the king the same thing? Just go along with the other prophets. Why cause any problems, Micaiah? And so Micaiah is hearing this garbage as they're taking him up there. And Micaiah says, look, I'll say whatever God tells me to say. And he gets up there and he simply says, yeah, go and be victorious. And Ahab's like, like wait a second. He said, how many times am I going to have to make you swear to really, truly tell me? And Micaiah said, you know what? I see all of Israel scattered as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, you're a dead man. And Ahab says, I knew it. This guy had never prophesied anything good over me. You know why? Because he's a wicked king. And Micaiah prophesied the truth. And it happened just as he said it would. Ahab was going to die in battle. But all those other false prophets were saying the opposite. And Micaiah said that he saw in heaven a vision where the Lord sent like a deceiving type of spirit in the mouth of the false prophets to lead Ahab to his death. Isn't that interesting? And so Jeremiah, if you read the story, I'm saying all this up front. If you read the story of Jeremiah, it is very possible that by the time Israel got to, or Judah rather, got to that place, where Nebuchadnezzar was about to come, I mean, it was right there at the end that Jeremiah was prophesying. It is possible that Jeremiah was the only true prophet alive. We have no reason to believe that there was one other true prophet other than Jeremiah. Yet there was all these other people saying peace and prosperity and, and victory and false prophets. As I deal with this tonight, this is a really heavy subject, I'm going to share some different stories and some things as I feel led to as the Holy Spirit helps me to do so. But tonight is going to be a night that I just pretty much tell it like it is. So I want to start, though, with this. Stephen's rebuke to the Sanhedrin. You remember the story of Stephen in the Bible where he was stoned to death. Why? Because he told the truth. So, I'm not going to read all of it because it's quite long. Because whenever Stephen was brought before the Sanhedrin, they were questioning him. And he began to go on about going all the way back to Abraham and telling this whole story. And really, he was showing that he was knowledgeable of these things. And then he gets all the way down to this place right here in this long and eloquent discourse. I mean, it was really a powerful sermon. He gets to this part in in Acts 7, verse 44, and says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers in the land of Canaan. Until the time of David, David found favor in God's sight, and was asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. This is where it shifts, because Stephen was starting to say here that no longer is God dwelling in this temple, he's dwelling inside of people now. We are now, this is what he was trying to get to. But then he says, and he quotes in, in verse 49, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or that place, or what place is there for my purpose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? And then this is where Stephen turns on him. And he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, listen to this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. They charged Stephen, they grabbed him, they drug him outside, they killed him. Just as he was saying, basically, if I could say it this way, because of the way he was speaking to them, it was as though he was a prophet right there, telling it like it was, and they drug him right out and killed him. How many knows that Israel loved their dead prophets, but always hated the living ones? Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because dead prophets don't say anything. Dead prophets aren't rebuking them. This will come back up later in this sermon, but I just want you to see something up front. All right, so I'm gonna. I don't think as I go through this, I don't think I could have used more scripture. <laughs> so if anybody later on says, Well, Pastor Scott, that was unscriptural, I will laugh. Because all I'm doing is going to read the Bible today and then expound on what I'm reading. You'll see what I'm saying. So Acts 20, verse 25. Now, I'm I'm dealing first with leaders. Now, I say this. I've been in the ministry almost 30 years. And I have a right at this point, I believe, to talk about my peers a little bit in this. That all of us examine ourselves. Amen? Amen? And being in the ministry, as long as I have, I feel that I do have a right to say some of the things I'm going to say tonight in love, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell it straight. So Paul's warning about wolves among the sheep. Now, the Apostle Paul was meeting with his leadership. And he was about to leave them, and he was telling them, you're never going to see me again. Paul knew that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to testify the Lord, and most likely he was going to die. Why? Because everybody that goes into Jerusalem and is a true prophet of God seems to get killed there. Okay, So Paul knew he was probably going into his death. But I want you to understand that he met with his leadership, and this is what he said to them. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God or the whole counsel of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, please hear this, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, did you catch that? Paul said to them, to their face, and even some of you, will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be on your alert. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. But we all stumble in many ways. So I want to say this. I'm really concerned. This is where I'm starting. I'm going to start with the leadership, and then I'm going to talk about several different things. But I am extremely concerned about what I'm seeing today. And this sermon is meant to maybe stir up some, uh, you know, people that to maybe consider some things that they maybe have been locked into a deception. So this is the first story I want to share. So my wife and I were able to minister at probably one of the most well-known, spirit-filled, uh, Pentecostal, if you will, Bible schools. It's been around for many, many decades, and when we were there... We had a really powerful time. My wife shared her story. We prayed with people. It was powerful. The, the Holy Spirit was moving. But I did notice that a lot of the younger people, its a Bible school, a lot of the younger people that were there seemed to not really know what to do with it. They didn't really know what to do when the Holy Spirit was moving. I did notice that. I had the opportunity to be able to, to lay hands and pray over some of them, and I felt the Holy Spirit really move powerfully. And But I could tell as I was praying for some of them and the Holy Spirit was really touching them. It was powerful that maybe they'd never felt that before, which that kind of surprised me. But later, they had asked my wife and I to go out to eat with some of the leaders. And when we were talking to them, I was asking them about the condition of the school and how things were going. Now, I'm being vague because I really don't want people to know what place I'm even talking about. I'm gonna be very vague in a lot of my stories on purpose. But at this particular place, the leadership and they had been there, both of them were graduates from this school going back to like the seventies and eighties. So they had been there a long time. And they had ministered there, they had taught there and they had seen decades of young people coming through. So this was not people that were new. And I asked them, I was like, Well how's the school doing? And this is what they said. They said, well, they said uh we used to run about 1,200, but now we're running about 600. And they said that, to be honest, there was a time years ago that young people came here because they knew that they had a call in their life. And they were hungry to be equipped for that calling. So they would come from other parts of the world. They would come in and God would do a deep work in them and equip them and teach them. And, and then they would go out and be used powerfully of God. But they said, to be honest with you, they said recent, in recent times, the young people were getting in here. Listen to what they're saying to me. They said they do not know the Bible at all. Zero. It says, as a matter of fact, Many of them that are coming here are actually getting saved here. And that we're having to teach them the very basics of the Bible. And I said, so what? Instead of it becoming a school that's equipping them for their destiny, it's become almost like a youth group or something? And the lady said, unfortunately, that's the way it is, but that certainly is not the way we like it or want it to be. And so we're trying to do our part to change that. And I was really concerned because I noticed for myself what I, what I saw, what I just described, that they seemed to not know what's going on. And so I said, well, what do you think is the problem? I said, why are you getting all these young people like this? And, and I said, and uh, they interrupted me, but I said, do you think it's because of the seeker sensitive movement that's been across the entire nation before I could finish? Yes, that's exactly the problem. Said they're not being taught the Bible. They do not know the Bible at all. If I, they were telling me if you were to say turn to such and such in the Bible, they don't know where it is. They don't know anything. And they said that they have almost zero knowledge of the move of the Holy Spirit. Know nothing about it. Can you hand me that menorah right there, please, just real quick? So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, this is one of the most powerful Bible schools in the nation. And this is what we're getting now? And so I wanted to share this up front. I know I teach on this a lot, but for those that have never heard this, so when you look at the tabernacle, one of the pieces of furniture is called the menorah. And the menorah is basically like an almond tree or an olive tree. It's supposed to be like a tree. In this particular tree, is God's uh, family tree, if you will, symbolically. The root system down here, the roots go down to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant that God cut with Abraham. Out of that covenant sprung up this middle branch here, which represents Jesus Christ. And we're all on both sides. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jew and Gentile were all in Christ together a part of God's family tree. Now, the menorah that was in the tabernacle was pure gold. Why was that important? Because it was the only piece of furniture that was. Everything else was mixed with wood and gold. The wood speaks of humanity. The reason why this was pure gold was because there was no humanity, so to speak. It was pure. Let me, let me explain that. The reason that is the case is because it represents two things. It represents God's word and it represents his spirit. So what God has given us is his family. He has given us the gift of his word. And he's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because if you go back and study this, I can't get into it. But when you go into the holy place, you see the table of showbread. It represents the blood covenant. But then to the left, and that's like Passover. But to the left, you see this menorah there. And it represents if you will, Pentecost. So the first Pentecost was when Israel left Egypt and they appeared at Sinai where God came down and God gave them what? The word. He cut covenant with Israel. Then 1,500 years later, God gave what on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. So now we're living on the other side of the cross. We have the fullness of this. Now, here's the great warning. Why does this represent the word? I don't have time to dwell on it, but there's knops and buds and bowls that were in the original menorah. It was supposed to look like a flowering of an almond tree, and they were not bud and bowl, not bud and bowl, and it. there was four times three is 12, and then three times three on each of these is nine. It totals 66. Even under Moses, there was a prophecy in the menorah that we would one day have a 66 book of the Bible that would be what? A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's God's word. But it also is the Holy Spirit. This thing had oil in it, and it was, had uh, seven flames on the top. And the Bible talks about, in Revelation, the seven spirits of God, but there's only one Holy Spirit. What that saying is, it's the Spirit of the Lord, The spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, my knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, he's coming as, we would say, maybe the spirit of revival or the spirit of Elijah. But that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold revelation, the manifestation of who he is. And part of that is the fear of the Lord. So God, out of his great love for humanity has created a family tree that we're able to be a part of. And in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, that we're even brought into the, the blessings given to Abraham. And God has given us pure gold. He's given us his pure word and the pureness of his spirit. That's his gift to us. Now, here's the great warning. It says in Revelation to the churches, write these letters to the churches. The very first church that was written to was the church in Ephesus, and it represents the early church. And the Bible says this. Jesus said, I have this against you because you have forsaken your first love. Go back to that first love, or what? I will remove your lampstand. What is the lampstand? The Word and the Spirit, it's the status before heaven of actually being a church from God's perspective. And not just being some kind of a social club. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not just being a place of entertainment. Not just being a place of programs. But being a place where God's Word and His Spirit is present. To transform people's lives. And the Bible says, if you don't get back to your first love, I'll remove. And Jesus said in Revelation, it describes him as the one that walks among the lampstands. God help us that so many have lost their lampstand. They've lost the word. They're producing young people that don't know anything about the Bible. They've lost the move of the Holy Spirit. To the degree that young people are having to go to Bible school just to get saved? It's pathetic. And I'm, I'm going to tell it like it is tonight because I'm concerned. And I've seen some, and I, and I say this in love, but I've seen some ministers that even are getting, you know, pretty, like on television, known and, and notoriety and all that. But when they're talking, it just seems so sheepish and timid and and weak. And it's like, what happened to the power of God? What happened to the anointing of the Holy Spirit? It reminds me of what they said about Jesus. He comes in roaring like a lion. And what do they say? Well, he, he preaches like someone with authority. Not like the scribes and Pharisees. What happened to the ones that used to preach with authority and power? But instead what's happening is the leadership that's the problem and i had uh, some friends of mine that were telling me this i'm being vague on purpose but in a particular um, metropolitan area that's quite large in our nation they started really looking for a church and they were saying that as they went from church to church you know they avoided anything that would not be spirit filled if it was dead or whatever they tried not to even go there but they went to several churches over a couple years and in a couple places that they went it was like in the whole metroplex they try to find a spirit filled place and this is what they told me their experience was they said pastor as we went from place to place they said there was very few places that even had prayer in their churches and we we tried to go to the prayer meetings of the places that had prayer but even when when we were there there was no real authority or power in their prayers it wasn't holy spirit it wasn't anointed as a matter of fact the husband told me he said remember one place he started really getting the spirit and praying in the spirit and he said that it was like everything kind of got quiet and he looked around they're all looking at him and they're like are you okay this is supposed to be a spirit-filled place. <laughs> if you knew these people, they're friends of mine. They're really sweet. And listen, if you knew these people, these are not like critical, negative people that go around trash-talking. They're really sweet people that, that try to find the good and just, you know, they're, they're if you knew them, you'd understand that this is a legitimate concern. And they said that almost nowhere that they went whatsoever, nowhere, Was there really like a manifest presence of God? They said the only anointing that they ever felt really in a few places, not all, just a few, came from the leadership and it was maybe the person preaching and it was just their personal anointing, you could feel that. But as far as the corporate body, there was no move of the spirit. There was no tongues, there was no gifts. Um, As a matter of fact, then the wife said, you know, she said, I would try to get free in my worship and just really begin to worship and I was told that's the wrong sound, calm it down. And she was told that. In other words, be quiet. I know this for a fact and I, I'm saying only what I know. Okay? I grew up in a particular denomination. Let me explain briefly. This denomination started not as a denomination at all but it was when Azusa Street broke out So many people were getting baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And they were really having an encounter with God. And so they began to be kicked out of their fellowship. And they didn't have anywhere to go. And so it began to form these loose uh, coalition of people coming together that was just out of necessity. But it formed this denomination, if you will. But back then, it was powerful. I mean, they had, they had intercessors that knew how to get in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, how to pray deep prayers, supplication. They'd pray in tongues. It even groans too deep for words, which is completely foreign now. But they knew how to pray things through. They knew how to worship in spirit and in truth. There was a presence of God among them, gifts in operation back around the year 2000, when Steve Hill was leaving Brownsville, he warned. He warned this. He preached a sermon called Cry Wolf. And I went as much as I could go to these revival meetings there and other places. But I lived so far I could only go periodically. And I just happened to be able to go to this one. And so I was there when he preached that sermon. It was powerful. But he warned that there would come a time when this revival would wane and they would be wolves that would come in among the sheep and not spare the flock. It was a powerful sermon and to a degree, I, I say this in passing and maybe this is just for me tonight. But You know, Brother Steve, back in 2003, I was able to meet with him and we spent some time together and he really spoke into my life. And I know Brother Steve has gone home to be with the Lord and I just want to honor him for a moment that he really loved and cared deeply about young ministers. He really did. And he would spend time with people like me. I was, I was in my mid-20s at the time. And he really invested in me, gave me some advice. He laid hands and prayed over me. It was very powerful, actually. God really touched me. And he was a very kind person. He, he autographed some, some of his books and gave them to me. I still have them in my office today. And he was the one that, that laid hands and prayed over me and sent me out here in the East to represent his ministry in the East. And then over time, of course, he got sick, and the ministry I was doing, we had to become a a church and not just a ministry of our own. But I still feel his presence, if you will, about what we're doing. It's about souls, and it's about a move of the Spirit. And I feel tonight, preaching the way I'm preaching, that in a sense, I'm honoring him, who is a spiritual father to us and to many. And I remember Brother Steve told me in 2003, just the two of us in his office, and he looked at me. And back then, I mean, I was so much caught up in the revival, the 90s revivals. I didn't really know all of the nonsense going on in the church world. I thought we would all go from the 90s revivals and just go deeper in God. I really did. Boy, was I wrong. I did. I went deeper in God. Our church has, but by and large, nobody... Anyway, so Brother Steve told me back then in 2003, he looked at me, think about this, because this was 20 years ago. He says, Scott, let me tell you, this seeker-sensitive movement that's emerging is a joke. That's his exact words. He leans over to me, and says, it's a joke. I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, I have a friend of mine that pastors a church, 5,000 people. And we were talking on the phone the other day and I asked him, I said, if somebody was to come in, because how many of us back then we were thinking about this as a, like a suicide bomber, right? And comes in with a, a vest and like blows up the whole church and everybody in there dies at one time. It's a sudden thing. Steve asked his pastor of 5,000 people, he said, how many people do you think would make it to heaven and how many people go straight to hell? And the pastor said, only about half of them would make heaven. And Steve said, you better warn them. See, this is the problem. Brother Steve told me, he said, it's a joke. The problem with things is, is this, that it is not about the right things. It's about just getting numbers there. It's a pseudo-success. And I think about in so many ways, that it becomes about everything but what it should be. It should be that the word of God is being preached under an anointing, not a motivational speech. And it should be that the move of the Holy Spirit is in the place where people are convicted of their sin and they're repenting. But that's completely removed. The lampstand is removed. And it becomes just a shell of what it's supposed to be. And let me continue on with this couple that was telling me their experience. And they told me, they said, Pastor, there's almost no move of the Holy... There's definitely not any like manifest presence or fear of God. And I said, well, what do you think the problem is? And they said, everywhere we went, he said, you could tell that there was a lot of tares among the wheat that there was a lot of people there that didn't know the Lord or, or were not right with God. And it was a mixture. It was like a mixed multitude. And it felt like defiled. And it was almost like, this is what he was telling me, It's almost like the leadership there either didn't understand those scriptural principles or they didn't know how to apply it, but he said it was polluted. And because of that, God's presence wasn't there in a powerful way to convict. And deal with sin. What's the problem? The problem is the leadership. Things have become about this. It's become about a building. It's become about numbers. And it is entertaining. It's a social club and it's just programs. But it's not really transforming lives. What good is it going to do on Judgment Day, if you had so, so much outward, superficial success, but yet, at the end of the day, from God's perspective, it was not successful, and so many of those people end up perishing. And let me just give you my opinion. I believe, in my humble opinion, that Satan loves the way things are, and, and I think that he even wants it, and I'll tell you why. Let me give you my opinion. Satan knows that he cannot stop everybody from getting saved. He knows that, unfortunately, there's going to be Christians. And so instead of trying to just kill every Christian, he's got to figure something out. What am I going to do with these Christians that I can't stop them from getting saved? And so I believe this is what he, he fashioned, if you will, as a schematic, a plan that he came up with in hell that he has now uh, put in place. You ready? Give them a place... Where they're going to remain lukewarm. They're going to remain on milk instead of meat. They're not going to be mature. They're not going to be a threat to Satan whatsoever. They're going to remain neutralized. Mix in among them all kinds of tares among the wheat. The Christians are never going to grow and be a threat to Satan. The lost people that are there are never going to get saved. They're in a place where they have a false sense of security. That's exactly what Satan wants. And Satan says, just keep them happy. Keep them entertained. Keep, keep the motivational speeches coming. And what I've seen, it's all about the here and the now, and it's not about eternity. So let me just keep going with this. Second Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're right in the middle of this. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship and do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So people now are simply bringing in hirelings that run it like a business and just tell them what they want to hear. And let me tell you, I'm going to get to this eventually. I'm getting ahead of myself here. And there but been in Rome, Revelation 21.8, the very first thing it says, who's going to be in the lake of fire? The first one mentions are the cowardly. And the cowardly leaders that are too afraid of the people to tell the truth. Because they know if they get up in a lot of these places next week and they were to open the Bible under a mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit and tell it like it is, they know that there's going to be several people that never come back again. And it's going to hurt the offerings. That's I'm telling you, that's the reason they don't do it. Jesus, in John chapter 6 had already fed the 5,000, he crossed over the lake when he walked on water. Remember, he gets over to another city. Those people find him. You would think, Jesus, if he was into numbers and money and and all that, you would think, well, here's 5,000 people. But instead of Jesus tickling their ears, he basically says, you're only following me because I fed you. And so he begins to go against that. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. It didn't really explain it. So these people are getting upset with him. And the Bible says those 5,000 people forsook him that day. They left. And Jesus never went chasing after him saying, oh, I'm so sorry that I offended you. I am so sorry I hurt your little feelings. Could you please come back? He never chased after them. In fact, he looks over at his disciples, the 12, and whoever was there with them, and he says, Are you going to leave too? And Jesus would have walked out of there alone that day. But Peter says, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of life. And they clung to the Lord. And of course, Jesus eventually explained all that to him. But Jesus was dealing with the false, he was dealing with the tares among the wheat. In Luke 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But people don't want to have bad press. They don't want people speaking ill of them. They want to just be beloved by the people. In Jeremiah 23, verse 9, concerning the prophets, Jeremiah says this, My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble and I'm like a drunken man, like a a strong man overcome by wine because the Lord and his holy words in me. The land is full of adulterers and because of the curse, the land lies parched and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course. And use their power unjustly. Both the prophet. Now listen. The prophet is supposed to be the one that's giving the word of the Lord. And the priest is supposed to be teaching them what pleases God. But what's the difference between the holy and the profane? But he said both the prophet and the priest are godless. These are the leaders. And he says even in my temple. Think about that. In the house of God. We're in a house of God tonight. But there's got to be a thousand others in this metroplex. But he says, in my house, even in my temple, I find wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery and they will be banished to darkness. And there they will fall. I will bring disaster upon them in the year they're punished. That reminds me of removing the lampstand. When the lampstand is removed, there's thick darkness of deception that comes in. And now, this is the leadership. So I'm just, I'm starting there. There, Okay, in this denomination that I grew up in, back in 2000, I've mentioned this, there's a man by the name of Dick Rubin that was really used to help lay the groundwork of the revival at Brownsville in the 90s. Well, he taught a lot on the Hebrew roots, powerful teacher, greatly impacted my life. But he prophesied this, I believe. He said, look, he said, I've been studying this. And then this particular denomination that he was in, he said, we have gone from a history of everybody speaking in tongues to now in the year 2000. I think he said 17% spoke in tongues. He said, if we don't have a radical change soon, he said in 20 years, it will be non-existent. And that's where it is now. He was right. It has actually happened. And in this particular denomination I'm referring to, I remember, and I'm going to talk just for a moment in love and kindness, but I need to say this. I went to a church of that denomination years ago, back in the late nineties, I think it was 98, 99, maybe. And that pastor at that time was really anointed and, and I remember him and his wife praying over me. It was really powerful. And I remember in that church, there was a message in tongues and an interpretation publicly, and a guy ran down and got saved because the message in tongues convicted him of his sin. I was there when it happened. It was a powerful move of God. And that same church right now, if anybody speaks in tongues or any gifts or an opera, anything like that, they make them go out of the main sanctuary to a back room, and they have to submit it to deacons in private. They kill it. And that humble pastor that was so mightily used to God back then, and again, I'm dealing with leadership here, okay? Got involved in the, the politics in that denomination, got voted into that, started climbing ladders and all that. And I saw him years later. I'm just going to tell you he's not the same person. Listen, you can get caught up in church politics, and you can lose something. I know right now that there is a number of younger people that I used to really minister to, that I knew God had a call on them for ministry. I knew it. And I remember really investing in them. Now they've gotten away from that completely. They're all in secular work. They're not doing anything God's called them to do. And let me tell you something, that's going to come up on judgment day. And it reminds me of the scripture, many are called, but few are chosen. You have to be faithful to do what God's called you to do. I know a powerful man of God that really ministered to me. And I remember being in a meeting with him where the Holy Spirit would fall in those meetings. And there was such a, like a smaller group. And I remember the presence of God was incredible. I mean, there was no music or anything. And it was just so powerful. The words that were preached, the power of God. And now the last time I saw that minister in another state, it was, uh, it was so different. It was just preaching a canned sermon that he had preached at his church previously. Didn't even get a word for those people. Going through taking up an offering, selling products, laying hands on a few people, heading to the green room. Obviously there to make a paycheck, and there's nothing wrong with with getting an offering. We give offerings when people preach, and when we go places, we get offerings. Don't miss the point. It's not about the offering. It's about what's missing. What happens? What happens? Whenever there used to be a powerful word for those people in that time, not preaching some canned sermon, and there used to be a powerful move of the Holy Spirit, now let's just lay hands on a few people while we go to the green room. What happened to, and I remember a friend of mine that we, we both grew up in the same particular denomination we went to the same bible school and i saw him at a local place and we were shocked when we started talking and realized we were the same age at the same school at the same time we really didn't even know each other and so we were talking about this but he told me he he left that particular denomination and this is what he said with sadness in his heart he says scott the denomination we grew up in is not the denomination of today and i'm telling you that's true They've lost tongues. They've lost Pentecost. They've lost the power of God. And they've just become this seeker-sensitive thing. It's the leadership. That's the problem. I remember Leonard Ravenhill. Is it okay? I'm just telling it straight tonight. Leonard Ravenhill one time was talking about this same denomination. And this was back him being interviewed back in the 90s. And this is what he said. He said across the board, he said this particular group, has lost the presence of God. He said what all all of the leadership across this entire nation, there should be from the headship, should send out a notification to every church and say this particular month, we're going to shut down all other preaching and teaching and everything else. We're going to humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and repentance and ask God's forgiveness from the height to which we've fallen and ask God, send your presence back again into our church. And if they would have listened to him, Leonard Ravenhill was a prophet. If they would have listened to him, things would have never ended up like it is right now. But people have lost something; they don't realize it, but they're, they've lost their lampstand. What good's it going to do on Judgment Day if you have all this superficial outward success? But you've lost your lampstand completely. There's no anointing. It's interesting that Brother Benny talked about what? The anointing last week, didn't he? Talked about the oil. That's what's going to make the difference. Now I remember talking to a pastor friend of mine that's been you know, Pentecostal ministry for probably 40, 50 years. His dad was a Pentecostal preacher. But we were talking and I was telling him, I said, you know, I said the stories of times past when somebody would get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And maybe even for like a day or two, they could only talk in tongues. It was kind of funny. But I mean, just had this powerful, powerful services. I mean, people, I remember he was telling me one time, and this was just a typical Pentecostal church out in a small area. That he was up preaching one time and out of nowhere the Holy Spirit blew in and the entire congregation fell under the power. And there's so many stories like that, people seeing fire in the building, all these powerful stories, yet... As we were talking, we were talking about how far things have fallen from that. And I mentioned him, I said, you know, when people back then, nobody cares about how good the coffee was or how good your donut was when you went to church. Back then, they were talking about testimonies of experiencing God's power in their lives. They saw somebody healed. They saw somebody delivered. They experienced the power of God. That's what people were talking about. So just talking about the leadership first, that we've got to examine ourselves. Are we where we should be with God right now or have we backslid? There's a minister that I always loved and respected, but I mean, he's doubled down. I've got sermons that he has preached. I own them where he's talking about making God's house a house of prayer. And now he's doubling down that he refuses to have corporate prayer in his church and won't let it happen and doubled down about it. And men of God, I know for a fact because I know some have gone to him and talked to him about it and he still won't do it. What's happened to people? How many people went to Bible school back in the 90s that aren't even doing good spiritually now? Something has happened. All right, so let me get off leadership and talk about the tares among the wheat. And this was another point I needed to get to about actually the church and the people in the church. So we're going to move off leadership and deal with this. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says this, Paul was rebuking the Corinthians. Now, this was a Gentile church, and these people had come out of sin. They didn't really know a lot about the things of God because they had just been saved out of paganism. But he says this, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, immorality, sexual immorality. Okay. And he said, this immorality is even such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. So apparently this was his stepmom. He says, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead So that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Did you see that? The Bible says Paul told them you need to get this guy out of your fellowship. It goes on to say for I... On my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is there, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that's his physical body, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Talking about judgment day. In other words, Paul's hoping that his physical health problems will bring him to repentance. Your boasting is not good. Do you, look at this. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as in fact you are unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, talking about Passover, by the way, this Gentile church, not with old, old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me stop there and come back to something in a moment. But it's saying there, think about this, how far the American church has fallen. It says in this passage, if somebody is in sexual immorality to kick them out of the church. And from what I understand from people that travel, i got two ministers that have told me this. They've traveled the nation that has become epidemic in churches that people are shacked up together having sex outside of marriage. I remember one minister said that two, a couple had come up to him and were getting prayer and the Holy Spirit just would not move. And the Holy Spirit prompted him and he asked him, he said, look, are you guys even married? And they said, well, no. And he said, "Why well, can't. Here's what we're going to pray. We're going to ask God's forgiveness for your immorality. They got mad and they turned around and stormed out the back door, flipping him off. See, those are tares among the wheat. Those people aren't saved. It's just a social club. but here's the problem a little bit of leaven works through the whole batch of dough and that's what that couple was telling me he said we were going to all these places but he said that the atmosphere was polluted it felt unclean it felt there were tears among the wheat and I, and I asked him I said, do you think it's all the things that have been allowed in the modern church with all the alcohol and the sexual immorality and the pornography and all the filth he said yeah you can feel it and here's a principle I don't have time to get into You can live holy, but you can still be affected by what you're around. And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying a little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In other words, you're there, and you may be living holy. If you die, you go to heaven, but you're still kind of polluted in a sense by what you're around. The church is polluted. It's kind of like if you were going somewhere, and you got all fixed up, showered, and got fresh clothes on. You got your clone on, everything else. You're ready to go, and you have to stop off at a gas station along the way, and there's smoking in there, and you come out smelling like smoke. You didn't do it, but you're affected by it. So I'm telling you that you can be affected by that. Not to mention what the leadership tolerates. See, here's my advice. So what can we do about it? Well, first off, you can pray about it. And I'll get to that in a moment. But as you, I go through the church on a regular basis and just pray, Lord, bring in the right people. And I know we're about to get a breakthrough. And there's actually, I feel this, there's going to be some new faces. Bring in the right people, but I I also walk through and pray, God, keep the wrong people out. Lord, anybody that's an unrepentant Jezebel, a Judas, those that sow discord, they're revilers, gossip slant, they're trouble, they're evil people, terrors among the wheat. Lord, keep them out. And if for some reason, God, you permit them to come to a service, they're not going to be able to get their roots down. They're not going to be able to develop a deep, meaningful relationship, get entangled in anybody's life here. They're just going to be exposed quickly and driven out by the angel of the Lord, and they're not going to be back, and they won't be able to cause a problem. They're just going to be gone. And you know what? I've seen that very thing happen more than once where they're just gone. Pray them out. And this is what the Bible says. Listen, God takes this holiness serious. Paul starts dealing with this and he said this. I wrote you in my letter to not associate with immoral people, sexually immoral people. And let me tell you, some people, if you if you stand for righteousness and listen, they please hear me. They call themselves Christians and they may go to church sometimes, but they're not the Lord's people. And if you take a stand for righteousness and it goes against them and their unrighteousness, they will hate your guts and persecute you, won't they, Dean? We know. But the Bible says, I did not, he said, I wrote in my letter, did not associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world. But with the, look at this. If somebody calls themselves a brother, verse 11, 1 Corinthians five eleven, but I wrote to you to not associate with any so-called brother. Somebody that calls themselves a Christian. If he is an immoral person, covetous, that's a lover of money, idolatrous, idolatry, the occult, it says, or a reviler. You know what a reviler is? A malicious gossip and slanderer. Or a drunkard. Or a swindler. To not even eat a meal with such a person. Did you know the Bible tells you that? Did you know if somebody calls themselves a Christian. And this is the way they live as a hypocrite. And you're eating a meal with them. The Bible says you're in the wrong about that. You're not supposed to associate with those people. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? And see, a reviler, a gossip and slander, unfortunately, Matthew 18 says, if you have a problem with your brother in Christ, just go to him and talk to him about it. But most people won't do that. They don't want to go to the person and talk about it and work it out between them. What do they do? They want to go gossip and slander about it, you know, and smear and sow discord among the brethren. The very thing the Bible says not to do. The problem with some of the pollution and, and the negative uh, oppressiveness of the church today is that it's not about the things that should be. Listen, if somebody comes in here that's lost, I want the lost to come and get saved. We do that all the time. But if somebody eventually it becomes evident that they have no intention of getting saved, I promise you the way that I preach and the way the Holy Spirit moves, they're not going to remain. Because the Holy Spirit will give them a chance to get right, and if they're not going to get right, eventually the Holy Spirit will drive them out. But in a lot of these places, there's no preaching like that, and there's no move of the Spirit. And so they have all these people. Do you think that it's doing those people a favor, that they're sitting in church genuinely believing that when they die, they're going to heaven, but actually when they die, they're going to go to hell? Do you think that that's doing them a favor? But let me give you this parable. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 24, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is wheat. But while the men were sleeping, everybody say sleeping. You know what sleeping speaks of? Prayerlessness. The church is not praying like it should. Hello? And because the lack of powerful prayer, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Did everybody catch that? Because the church is prayerless, the enemy's able to slip in and sow tares among the wheat. And then it says he went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And this is the way that works. Weed and tares look exactly the same until they reach maturity. And then the grain appears on the wheat. So you ever seen the top of wheat? It's got grain. The tares won't have that. And so whenever things come to the fullness, you can tell the difference between the two. And so the slaves of the landowner came to him and said, sir, uh, do, did you not sow good seed in your field? How is it then that we have tares? And he said to them, an enemy's done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us then to go gather them up? But he said, no. While you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them also. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And then uh, in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them into the bundles and burn them. That's judgment. But, and then gather the wheat into my barn. And it goes on to say in verse 39... That the harvesters, the reapers are the angels. That God would send his angels to separate the wheat from the tare. If we would get back the lampstand in our churches. And we would preach the word of God the way it's supposed to be preached. And there's no apologies about it. It's under an anointing and the fear of God, the the move of the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit will convict people. I've seen people, even people that were unrepentant. I have seen this for myself in this church. I think of two people that were totally unrepentant. And I remember sometimes under the anointing, I was preaching the word and I would see them just nervous and white knuckling. They felt it. But they never got right. They would shake it off and go back into sin. Now, I'm going to tell the leadership, you better deal with sin in your camp. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, expel some. I've had people come in that I've had to ask them to not come back. Not very often, but I've had to do it a couple times. One person was was here, and it became evident he was only here to try to get a woman in bed with him. You know what? There's bars for that type of garbage. This is the house of God. And I told him, I said, hit the road, don't come back here. So now the judgment and separation. First John 2:18, it says, "Children, it is the last hour. How many knows we're in the last days? And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Look at this. They went out from us because they were not really of us tares for if they had been of us they would have remained with us but they went out so that it would be shown that they were not really of us remember jesus in john chapter six are you going to leave too Now think about how god's separating the wheat from the tares you're not doing anybody a favor by watering everything down and making it palatable to, um, you know what I'm trying to say here, <laughs> to, <laughs> to people that are unrepentant sinners. Amen? And then Jude chapter, maybe we needed a laugh, okay? This is a heavy subject. But Jude chapter 12, or chapter, Jude chapter 1, verse 12. <laughs> These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast, with you without fear. How many knows not everybody has a fear of God? Caring for themselves, they are clouds without water. Carried along by the winds. Some people are just blown here and there. They have no stability. They're autumn trees without fruit. You know, we're in autumn now. The leaves are fallen. Autumn trees without fruit, they don't bear fruit for the Lord. They're doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam look at this wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever that's hell it says it was also uh, also about these men that Enoch in the 7th generation from Adam prophesied saying behold the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude was dealing with people that were among God's people at their love feast. In other words, they would hang out after church and fellowship and eat together and take communion together. But he was saying, among you are ungodly men. And he said that they're like hidden reefs among the... You know what that is? If you're in a boat and there's hidden reefs under the water, it's a danger. Because if your boat strikes those, your whole boat's going to go down and everybody could drown. These, he was saying these are dangerous people there. I believe that we've hit a high water mark, that God's going to start doing something now about it. The reason I'm sharing this is because I believe that after I preach this sermon for us, River of Life receives this. But unfortunately, a lot of places I go, if I was to preach this, they would not receive it. And I believe that something's about to change. I'm not saying this out of my emotion. I'm telling you this, that in my spirit, spending time with the Lord, I believe that this is the word for tonight. And I believe that the Lord has impressed upon me He's about to do something now about it. It's kind of reached a high water mark where it's become something the Lord needs to step in and deal with. And, you know, Jesus is supposed to be the head of the church. You know what that means? That maybe us as a collective church should maybe ask him his opinion about things. And here's a shocker, that he would tell us what he wants us to do. We do that in River of Life, but I'm going to tell you. Most places across the board, Jesus Christ is definitely not the head of that church. He's not consulted, and he is not giving orders to them, and they're not doing what he says. They're just running it like a business. Hello? But I believe that things have gotten so serious now spiritually that it's producing all these young people that don't even know the Lord. It's not their fault. Do you really think it's the fault of those young people going to that Bible school that they don't even know the Lord, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, anything? It's not their fault. It's the church's fault. If people come here consistently and they don't know the power of God and they don't know the Word, that's our fault. Because we're not giving it to them. And another thing this couple told me was they said that they really felt in some places they went, that there were even some people there that had a, a very strong spiritual darkness about them that they suspected that they were infiltrators in there. And I think about Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 in the last day's perilous times. Did you know if you skip down and you look at verse 13, it says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you know the word imposters means like a witch or a sorcerer? These are people that Satan will sow into large gatherings sometimes and they're there to help spiritually pollute the atmosphere and the people that are there. It's got to be dealt with. But there's a a story about that. I'm about to close now with this and give the last couple scriptures. But there was a story, I knew this lady really well, and I knew this church really well actually, it was down uh, south of here about an hour, and I used to go there periodically, and this particular church was really caught up in the 90s revivals, it was a powerful church, I mean God really moved. And I knew this this lady really well, actually. I mean, I knew these people, especially the lady telling me this story. I just didn't happen to be there in this service. But she was in the back. And she said that during the worship, all of a sudden there came this message in tongues. And the interpretation came that there was a, I I think she said a snake in the grass, but there was somebody among us that was an evil person and that god wanted to expose them this church was uh, larger than here but it wasn't a big church okay and she's sitting in the back and she's worshiping and stuff and she said that after that word came there was somebody uh, being in the back she could see this there was somebody that just dropped down and so it caught her attention because everybody else is just kind of there in a worshipful attitude and all of a sudden this person like hits the deck And so she's kind of looking like, what are they doing? She was telling me, she says, Scott, I'm telling you, that person slithered like a snake. So I watched them. They slithered under the pew, and I'm sitting there watching this, she said, with my mouth open, thinking to myself, I cannot even believe that I'm watching this happen. This person slithered like a snake, popped up, and ran out the back door and was gone. Well, good riddance, but here's the thing. Isn't that weird? But here's the point I want to make. The power of the Holy Spirit was present to expose that. See, in a lot of places, these imposters will never be challenged. How many times I've gone through and prayed for people under the anointing to see them manifest a spirit, collapse on the ground, get delivered. I've seen people slither. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I remember powerful altar calls at Brownsville where Brother, Brother Steve would, would preach it straight. He would call sinners to repentance. And people, people would literally run down, I mean, the weeping and the wailing, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to deal with sin. Thank God. You know, God's true people love that. Because if there's something not right in us, we want to know. How many feel that way? You say, Pastor, the truth is, if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to God, I really want the Lord to tell me. I really do. How many feel that way? Wave at me. You're sincere? You see, not everybody is sincere like you. Some people, you tell them what what is wrong in their life, and they'll, they'll flip you off and walk out the back door, cuss you out. Tears among the wheat. But Jesus is about to do something about it. I'm telling you. The Lord will step in. Here's the way I look at it. One of these days. I'm going to die and stand for the Lord. And the Lord is going to judge me. Based on how I ran my family. How many knows that's the truth? He's not going to judge Sandy. As much as he's going to judge me. If I raise kids right and they don't turn out good look hey i did my part that's their problem but he's going to judge me based on what i do he's going to judge me based on did i tell you river of life the truth amen so if the lord is going to judge me as the headship should not the lord jesus christ himself who's supposed to be the head of the church right should he not step in and clean house when it's time to clean house. Amen? He wants me to do it. I believe the Lord will do it. Don't you? Are we still dealing with the same Jesus that made a whip and drove out the money changers? I believe things have reached a critical mass. All right, so let me let me read these last couple of scriptures. 1 Peter four seventeen. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... Then, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? But judgment begins in God's house. And I believe God is about to really step in and start bringing judgment. I do. And I want us to pray at the end of this together. I'll go through and pray for people tonight, especially the intercessors. But I want all of us at the end here, I want us just to agree. There's people watching, there's people listening. And unfortunately I wish that I, I wish I could say that this word would go out and really hit the mark to the people it should and but you know as well as I do that people are not going to listen you know some will those that are wise that have eyes to see and ears to hear they'll hear it but you know as well as I do some of the people that really need to hear this won't And here's some of the deception we're dealing with, some goofy stuff. You know, some of the people, listen, Jesus said in the last days there would be great deception. He said that there would be false prophets, there would be false teachers. The Bible makes it clear there's false apostles and that God wants us to deal with that. But as much as that is used, a lot of times the very people that keep using the phrase false prophet and false teacher, some of them are the greatest false prophets and false teachers that's ever lived. Because they preach heresy called cessationism, where they don't even believe that God even heals people today. You talking about a heretic? Let's just call it like it is the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who never changes. The Jesus who healed, who is healing, and who will heal in the future. And yet, they're going to try to change that and what, say it all died with the early church? And then everybody that they don't like, they call false prophet and a false teacher. I think maybe you need to get the two before out of your eye before you start trying to pick the speck out of other people's eyes. And I think about the preterist, the goofiest thing you've ever heard in your life. They think all prophecy already happened. Are you insane? But there's people that believe that. False prophets, false teaching, heresy. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you. Everybody say deception. For the coming of the Lord, okay, it will not come unless the apostasy happens first. Apostasy is somebody that walked with Jesus and then they turn their back completely on him and now they don't walk with Jesus. Okay. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. So there's going to be a great falling away. The Bible says this word apostasy can be translated falling away or a rebellion. You know what that is? The tares being removed from the wheat. It's the same thing. In 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says in the latter times some will fall away from the faith can be translated, abandon the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And I think about some of the doctrines of demons, any teaching that will lead people to believe that they can live in sin and still go to heaven when they die. That is a doctrine of a demon. Did y'all hear what I said? I don't care how they flowered up. They, it may be this hyper grace. It may be hyper Calvinism. It may be presented as a once save, always save type of thing. I don't care what they want to label it. If they are teaching in any way that makes people comfortable in their sin, that they can live in unrepentant sin and still go to heaven, you better be careful because you're teaching doctrines of demons and you're liable to cause some people to go to hell that didn't have to. And might I add that Jesus Christ teaches us in the book of Revelation that somebody's name can be blotted out of the book of life? It says those words. We better live with a holy fear of God. In the last couple of scriptures are this Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, notice they call him Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many, not a few, many will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In your name, we cast out demons. In your name, we perform miracles. How many knows you? this is the church here? These are people among us. Jesus said in verse 23, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Can you imagine The people, many people that really believe they're saved and they're among us and they're a part of everything going on, the prophesying and the the sick being healed and the demons being delivered and they're a part of the, the power of God. Yet one day to stand before Jesus Christ and him tell them, I never really knew you. You lived in sin. You never listen. The Bible says that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You never obeyed my commandments. You lived a life of lawlessness and sin before me. And he's going to throw them into hell. Hebrews 10.26 For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Are y'all hearing this? You young people listen to me. If you've trailed off at some point make sure you get this one. It says if we go on sinning willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries of God, It saying. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has insulted the Spirit of grace, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. This was written to his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That we need that healthy fear of God in our lives. And Paul understood that. He said, I beat my body unto subjection so that after I've preached to others, I myself don't become a castaway. Paul knew he always had a healthy fear of God that at any time if I strayed completely away from God and got into sin and, and got away from the Lord, he's like, I could end up in hell. He had a fear of God about him. Revelation eight. it's the last scripture, but the cowardly, the unbelieving... The abominable. You know what the abominable is? Those that are defiled. They're unclean. And the murderers and the immoral persons. Listen, immorality is rampant today. The only sex that's okay with God is in a husband and wife in marriage. That's just the way it is. God doesn't change. And then also it says, and sorcerers. But you know that word there means any person that's practicing the occult. If you're into that witchcraft and divination and sorcery and necromancy, I'm telling. And then it goes on to say, all idolaters and all liars. That's why I drill it in young people. You better not be lying to me. Listen, parents, you better deal with lying. Listen, it's one thing to ground somebody for something they did wrong, okay? But let me give you some advice. If they lie about it, ground them all over again for lying get that out of them because the Bible says all liars will be in the lake of fire. I don't think that God's okay with them. And it says their part will be in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. I feel a burden when the Lord gave me this word. I didn't really want to preach it per se but I felt the Lord wanted me to share this. I don't think That river of life needs to hear this per se. You guys know. And I don't know that this is going to go out and get everywhere it needs to. Who knows? Only God knows. You know, there was a guy that travels and speaks. And he tells it straight. He had somebody contact him that's one of these um, organizers of Christian events. And told him. He said, you know, when you minister, people cry and they get upset. And then the minister responded back in the email, well, what are you you trying to get at? And the guy says, well, you're not going to be able to preach everywhere and your ministry is going (laughs) to be not as popular and well-known and you're invited to a lot of things if you don't stop that. And he said, well... He told him, he said, I consider it a good thing that the Holy Spirit is convicting people of their sin and they're crying and they're getting right with God. And the guy said, well, you're going to have a lot of doors shut. And he said, well, that's, that's, that is what it is, okay? But he said, I'm going to still preach it straight. This is the type of goofy stuff people are having to deal with nowadays. There's a lot of pressure being put on people. And I remember my wife and I, we're going to pray in just a moment. Well, years ago, like 10 years ago, we were considering going with this particular denomination that I've been referencing on and off throughout here and maybe doing something with them. And I'm on good terms with them and all that, but I i remember that we had had this meeting and some of the leadership was talking to us about this, that, and the other, and is that anything that I said, remember this, Sandy. Anything I said about prayer, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, holiness, revival, they, they were demeaning, they were belittling to me about it. I was taken off guard because I just simply wasn't expecting that. And I noticed, I mean, I'm, I'm in this, talking to these guys, and to be honest with you, I was getting annoyed with them because they were so arrogant and I, I'm sitting there across the table and it was just getting a little tense. And I, but I eventually noticed that my wife kept getting up and going to the bathroom, coming back, going to the bathroom, coming back. I didn't really pay attention to cause I'm locked into this heated discussion. But I realized later that she was grieved in her spirit and was going and trying to pray. Is I wasn't really going to take it off of them. And I remember when we left there, we got in the car and she looked at me and she had tears in her eyes. She was kind of crying. She said, I don't want nothing to do with those people, Scott. I said, I don't either. They were persecuting revival. And before you think I'm exaggerating, Brother Ralph, who comes here and preach. How many of y'all like Brother Ralph? Same denomination. Told me. This long story that it's like, dear God, he's so when his church started seeing revival, the leadership of that denomination caught wind of it and began to zero in on him and persecute him and have meetings with him and and they were trying to get him to shut down the revival. They didn't like it. They didn't want it. He couldn't understand. He's like God. It's just God moving. What is your problem? They did everything they could to persecute him and make his life miserable. And they did pull some stunts that really hurt him. But eventually, he got through the other side of it. But I'm going to tell you something. God sees that garbage. Listen, that's the same denomination that started back in the, what, 1920s or something? Are you all hearing what I'm saying? Back in, what, the 1920s or or the teens? and, And it was a denomination that formed in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gifts, tongues, the baptism in the Holy Spirit... Pentecost to now turn around all these years later and really persecute those that are still that way. They have become, see that denomination formed because the people were kicked out. They have become the ones that will kick you out, so to speak. They've become the ones that when you're free in your worship saying, hey, tone it down. They are the ones now that whenever tongues or some power of God shows up, they say, no, no, taken in a back room somewhere. I think about history repeating itself. I've gone to Cambridge Ridge and been there. Most people go there. It's just some place you walk through and talk about what God did. But God really touched me there. And it's almost like out in that field, there still sits a menorah that the Baptist walked away from. The Presbyterians walked away from and in recent times, even the Methodists have walked away from, but it's still sitting out there in that field, but they left it Isn't that sad. And I tell you this in love, and I'm going to pray right now. Some of the mainline Pentecostal denominations of times past are absolutely no different than that they also have abandoned their lampstand. They no longer want to preach the power of God. But how many knows that God's got a revival? I believe this with all my heart, and this is what we're going to pray. In the days of Wesley, he was an Anglican preacher. His dad was an Anglican. He truly got saved because of the Moravian missionaries on a boat boat. He truly gave his life to Christ at Aldersgate. His heart burned within him. And he talked about it. He said, my heart was strangely warmed. He had a new birth. And he thought to himself, surely if I go back to the place that my dad pastored this church, surely these people would want to know this. He goes there and they throw him out. You know what Wesley had to do? The Anglicans he grew up in. His dad was an Anglican preacher. The Anglicans wanted nothing to do with his gospel message. He ended up getting kicked out of churches. So you know what he did? He took it to the streets, which eventually led to a great awakening in our nation. God will have to do the same thing again. The people of today in the institutionalized church, they don't want the move of God. They've made it clear they don't. Don't be surprised if God doesn't go outside of the institutionalized churches and find some little Wesleys and some little Finneys and, and some people like that out there, little prayer groups, places where God still moves and they still have good doctrine and they still want the Word of God, they still want the Spirit of God, and God says, you know what, I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to do something powerful with them. But don't, don't forget this, He will bypass those arrogant people. So let's pray. I want us to really agree together. How many will agree with me right now? And I want those that are watching or those listening to this, if you can, just stop where you're at for a moment and really agree with me. Lord Jesus, we pray directly to you as the head of the church. and We ask you today, humbly suggesting that if my house needed something dealt with, Lord, you expect me to deal with it in my house. As a pastor of this church, if something wasn't right, you expect me to deal with it. Well, Lord Jesus, we humbly ask you to push in, to step into your house among your people and begin to deal with this stuff. Does not the word of God say judgment begins in the house of God? Lord, we ask you to take notice of the young people that don't even know you, that don't know your word, that don't know the Holy Spirit. Many of them aren't even saved and it's the product of this church. So we ask you, Jesus, to step in and begin to bring down everything that's arrogant, everything that's of man, it's of the world. It's, some of it's even demonic, but it's not you. Let all of that, those high places, begin to come down. Step in, Lord, and begin to raise up that which is humble and lowly and pure, righteous, that which is of you. Let that be brought up. Let the crooked places that are iniquitous and evil before you, things that have been accepted in the church, things that has been tolerated that shouldn't be, Lord, let those crooked places be forced straight again. And let the stumbling blocks to your eternal purposes be removed out of the way. Lord, you came in with a whip and you drove out the money changers and then after that you came in and started healing and delivering and moving in power in the temple. You cleaned house and then brought revival. We're asking you, Jesus, once again, clean house. We ask you, Lord, step in. Don't hold back. Deal with it. Lord, there's people that used to be right that have back so call them to repentance. There's other things that really need to be dealt with maybe more sternly, but Lord, we ask you, clean house and we humble ourselves here today in river of life if there's anything in us that doesn't please you show us tonight convict us don't leave us like we are we ask the one who walks among the lamp the lampstands, to trim the wick and cut out all that old junk that needs to go lord let there be a fresh oil and a fresh fire that the word of god will be preached in power and there'll be a mighty move of the holy spirit again Lord, we ask you to see the ruins of what the devil has done. And according to Isaiah 58, we ask you to rebuild those ancient ruins. Lord, to raise up again those foundations, those foundational truths. To rebuild the wall, Lord, repairing that breach where there's holes. For Satan to be able to attack God's people because things aren't right. Let those walls be built up again. Streets to dwell in where there's rejoicing and revival. Lord, we ask you to step in. Force your hand and deal with things. Because there's strongholds. There's denominational strongholds. Lord, there's strongholds of religion. Lord, the modern-day Pharisees and Sadducees. and, And Lord, we ask you to deal with these strongholds. And let these man's control to be broken. Lord, we ask you to deal even with witchcraft in the church. And Jezebel's spirits demonic control lord that you would step in and deal with it clean house so we need you and we thank you for it because we know we know that if we pray according to your will you hear us if we know you hear us we have what we ask and i believe this is the word to pray tonight lord jesus i believe that you're hearing us and we thank you for it and we believe it and we expect it lord again restore back intercessors Kenneth Hagin prophesied if we don't carefully pass it to the next generation, it will be lost. And I believe he he saw that. It has been lost. Restore back intercessors again, Lord, to your house. Restore back prayer. I felt that when I said that. Restore back prayer. Restore back corporate prayer again. If some people don't want it, then raise up others that will. But restore back prayer again. Lord, we need powerful prayer. Restore back spirit worship. Powerful worship. Restore back the gifts of the Holy Spirit in power. Restore back, Lord, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Healing ministries, deliverance ministries. And Lord, let there be a fear of God, a conviction come. Lord, once again, there's a sweeping revival of a harvest of souls. Lord, we thank you for it. We're asking this in your name, Jesus. We're asking you to pour out your spirit. Lord, we're asking you to bring in the harvest and that a bride be made ready to meet you in the air. And I thank you, Lord, for it as the head of the church, Lord, that you'll clean house. And we thank you for it. Who? I feel we have the Lord's attention tonight. I feel it's a holy, hallowed moment right here. And I want us to pray. If we could just go to a screen and put on some worship. But I want to pray for people tonight, especially intercessors. And I'm going to ask God to pray through you into this. And I believe God wants to do a powerful work tonight.